We're not crazy, the system is. Tune in to Madness Radio, Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health, Wednesdays 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on Pacifica Affiliate WXOJLPFM 103.3 Valley Free Radio. Produced by Freedom Center and the Icarus Project. Streaming live, podcasting, and archived at madnessradio.net. Thanks for tuning in to Madness Radio. This is your host, Will Hall. And uh, today we're doing um, a show about the bed push escape from psychiatry protest that the Freedom Center had on July 29th of 2007. Uh, it was a hospital bed with a whole uh, crew of people pushing it from Cooley Dickinson Hospital um, to downtown Northampton where there was a speak out and there was a press conference and a lot of discussion, educating the public about human rights issues in the mental health system. And the, um, the bed push is actually something that started in London, England, with folks uh, pushing a bed several miles as a way of calling attention to uh, mistreatment and abuses in the mental health system. And I think there's been three of those in London now, and it's kind of spreading. There's a bed push in Toronto, Canada that happened. Um, and uh, so this was the first year that it happened in Northampton. And hopefully it's something that's going to spread uh, around the uh, the country. So the folks who were in the um, in the show, uh, which was uh, recorded right after the bread push happened, are um, Freedom Center organizers Amy Bookbinder, Haya Grossberg, Molly Herter, and Keely Malone, also um, Abby Adams and uh, Oryx Cohen. So we're going to go to that uh, that uh, recording. And we we felt that there's a lot of energy and a lot of people. Um, that have been expressing outrage lately in the Freedom Center, and we thought it was a good time to try to embrace that energy into a protest and a speak out. And so we decided to, to go ahead with it, and thus we did. Okay, excellent. So the bed push was organized by? The bed push was organized by a range of different people. Um, mostly different members of the Freedom Center were involved with Coming up with the time, coming, getting the permit, getting a PA system, um, deciding how we're going to get a bed, where we're going to meet, what it's going to look like. There was a whole bunch of it. Was a pretty collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. And is this an event that you continue that you hope will continue? I do. How about the rest of you? Yeah, sure. we hope this we hope to have this every year. Okay, excellent. As they do it annually in Toronto and London. Oh, do they? I think so, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. Actually, in those countries, they push beds for miles. They, right. they make it like a three-day event. They must have better wheels than we had, <laughs> right? <laughs> Tell me about it. We couldn't make it a mile and a half. I think mm-hmm. we probably about three-quarters of miles when we probably lost the first wheel, maybe a little uh, less than that. I think a little less than oh, that. I have to say, as a person in the bed, I think that if it was just me in the bed the whole time, none of the problems would have occurred. Of course she does. There was, think, there was a burning rubber smell <laughs> <laughs> that preceded the snapping of the first wheel. So It was a pretty old bed. Uh, yeah. I think the breakdown of the bed and all the people getting together and supporting the bed and literally <laughs> carrying it into town was just gr- a great symbolism for the broken down mental health system and how peers helping each other is what gets everybody yeah, through. I agree. And I also yeah, think here, that here. the overload of people wanting to be in the bed escaping was a good symbol of of just the abundance of us who are coming together wanting to escape and needing support, needing others' help. Mm-hmm. 
We also managed to get a new recruit because the bed broke. <laughs> Wait, someone told me, the bed's broken right near the skate park. Molly, go run to the skate park. Now, just everyone keep in mind, this was when we lost the third wheel is when we were close to the skate park. So. And I have to say, that right from the beginning, that was a somewhat of a far-fetched idea. <laughs> but yet alone, I did go to the skate park. And I did, in fact, find somebody who I just said, there's a hospital bed that lost its wheels and it needs to be pushed downtown. Will anyone use their skateboard? And there's a patient in it. <laughs> I didn't say there was a patient in it, but I didn't say there wasn't. <laughs> and most of the skate park boys just stared at me, but one, one kind young man said, I'll do it for good karma. And then as we were running towards the, the bed to try to put the skateboard underneath it, he was reading. He said, so is this for a patient? And I said, actually, it's for a lot of patients in, in a way. And I showed him the flyer and he was like, wow, and totally connected with it and felt that was a cause very close to home and, and really important to him. He stayed for the entire um, speak out. He became our techie. Mm-hmm. And he spoke he, out. And he spoke out. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, he was actually a survivor himself. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So you, <laughs> there's, there's many survivors out there and you never know where you're going to find them at skate parks or at Freedom Center meetings or... Valley Free Radio. That's right. <laughs> it's funny that he actually just thought that you were pushing a bed and needed help. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty strange story, which I think is why everybody looked at me so strangely. <laughs> like, um, which century are you living in? <laughs> Beds need to be pushed down the street. <laughs> With a skateboard. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a little growing tension there in, in the group, but we all collectively made the decision that the bed had to survive and it had to make it downtown with us um that we had to make as big a spectacle out of ourselves as possible you sure did yes (laughs) and that that we did and it was really touching to see how everybody really worked hard to pull that bed up to lift it it's true i was pretty impressed it's true because we're not talking about just one of these little like like ambulance gurneys here we're talking about this full metal frame um ancient crank hospital bed plus it was like a 95 degree day it was it was it was really hot. Yeah. So I think I think next year we'll have a, a wheel mechanic. You know, we'll have like we'll have little pit stop areas with our whole crew there to change our wheels as they flatten in our way. We'll have lots of skateboards, backups. <laughs> and, and I'm sure we'll have more people protesting and marching with us next year too. Yeah, I agree. Keeps keeps increasing its numbers. I agree. As more and more people get put on psychiatric drugs and given diagnoses. Unfortunately, right? But also more and more people are speaking, understanding there's a movement in which to join and mm-hmm. speak out against it. And mm-hmm. So it's growing for more than one reason. Okay. So there was the bed push yeah. and then the speak out. And can someone tell me a little bit more about, about the speak out? How did that How did that go over? How do you well, Haya was the MC of the speak out. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I bet she can tell you about it. <laughs> That's another one of those sort of last minute things where... The original MC had had like a really intense night, had been driving from Baltimore to here in the middle of the night and called me at like 5 a.m. or something asking me if I could be the MC. <laughs> um, so I didn't really get to plan for it as well as I would have if I knew, but. You did an excellent job. She sure did. Great mm-hmm. job. Thanks. Yeah. Right. So the speak out was just sort of free formed, right? There were some, there were Freedom Center members that spoke, but also quite a few members of the community too. Right. There was a there were several people who I had never met who, as far as I knew, had never been to a Freedom Center event that had very in- intriguing and powerful stories about psychiatric abuse um, that they wanted to speak out about at the, mm-hmm. the speak out. 
Yeah, there was one girl who seemed to have never really spoken out before because she was very tentative about what she was saying, and I thought that was very beautiful that she had the courage mm. to go up in front of a lot of people, which that would seem to be the first time. I right. don't remember her name. But. Right. Yeah. No, there was many stories that were very touching. I think that, um, yeah, it was, and I think I think the whole the whole sidewalk sale setup was was one of the best accidents that happened during the whole planning of this event. Um, Right, the date being picked because it was the end of Mad Pride Month, and many of us not realizing that it coincided directly with the sidewalk sales. But in the end, I felt as if it allowed this really um, comfortable environment in which people could sort of listen and get enticed into sitting down and hearing a little bit more. Um, and without that kind of buffer, I think that it would have been more difficult to, to gather a crowd. What do you think about that? I, I think that's true, and it also helped that there was food not bombs going on at the same time, mm. and so a lot of folks were there eating free food anyways, and um, really were interested in tuning in to to what was going on in front of the mic with people telling their their personal stories. Mm-hmm. And although the Gazette characterized the crowd as just some curious onlookers, mm. um, I was there, and I would say that people were really captivated and yeah. stopped to. To listen. Yeah, I would say so too. Mm-hmm. I was I was standing beneath one of the tents at one point, ha- passing out literature, and mostly I was just passing out um, our lime green flyers as to what we were doing that particular day. And often there was a group of people sort of collecting there behind me in the safety beneath the sidewalk sale tent, not sure if they were ready to really identify as part of this speak out. But after listening for just a few seconds, would walk up and ask me if I had the full brochure of the Freedom Center and what the Freedom Center had to offer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, there were there was a lot of different different things that came up at the speak out. It was mostly people telling their personal story. There was um, someone who didn't want it, who wrote up their personal story, but didn't want to speak themselves. So there was an anonymous personal story read. But there was also a list of abuses that were read. that had happened within ServiceNet. And so this was the theme, was people talking about their personal abuses, but there was also um, a more general list of ServiceNet abuses that were read by um, a group of people that were rotating and reading them. And we thought maybe we would share some of that with you today. Maybe while, after giving a little bit of background about who ServiceNet is and, and how this all came about. Do you want I me think to? we have a caller. Can we, should we interrupt this briefly? Or maybe we should, okay, appears that they're going to be online. <laughs> okay. Are we, are we talking? Yep. Do we want to give some background about what was, what's what been going on with ServiceNet? Mm-hmm. I think that would be great. I'm going to invite someone else into the conversation. Great. Maybe somebody calling in. Okay. Oric, are you with us? Uh, yeah. All right. How's it going? Mm. We were just starting to talk about ServiceNet and the different types of abuses that have happened um, at ServiceNet and some of the history of of who ServiceNet is and how how speaking out against them came or speaking out about some of the abuses that happens there, not against them entirely, but how that came about in our speak out. Okay, so this is, and this is Oryx Cohen is joining the conversation, one of the regular co-hosts of Madness Radio. So, welcome. Yes, um, I'm calling as with another hat tonight. Um, I'd, I'd be happy to sit back and let you have this conversation, but um, 
I'm actually uh, working at the new recovery learning community tonight, <laughs> and um, but I'd be, and uh, so I, I didn't want to take over the conversation. Okay. All right. I'll just so, let you jump in if you have anything you need to add. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna continue on with the conversation about about the service net abuses, and um, feel free to chime in, and then we'll have some discussion about RLC if you're still with us. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll hang on. Okay. Great. Should we give some background information about what's been going on with ServiceNet? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Please. And well, you know, okay, so ServiceNet is a human service conglomerate. They basically have a monopoly over human services in our area. Their services cover the mental health, uh, mental retardation, homeless shelters. I believe they own every homeless shelter in Northampton um, and also brain trauma. And I believe those are the major, major categories that they cover. Um, there has been a lot going on with the union at ServiceNet. And June 19th, the union held a rally because they had been in contract negotiations for a very long time. And so myself and some other Freedom Center members attended the rally in solidarity with the direct care staff workers to protest in solidarity with them and draw attention to the need for a better contract for their workers. And we also used it as an opportunity to highlight some of the complaints that we've had about ServiceNet. Um, there have been some very serious advocacy issues there. There have been some very serious advocacy issues for a very long time. Um, I know the Freedom Center was involved with, with some advocacy before I even became involved. And ever since I've become involved with the Freedom Center, a lot of um, the people who have requested advocacy services have been ServiceNet clients. And, um, you know, and it's, it's been an incredibly frustrating, frustrating thing to try to advocate for for those for the service net clients just because the it's it's just nearly impossible once you're um, labeled incompetent to get your voice heard and to get your voice heard in your treatment plan and um, so there was a lot of frustration that I had with ServiceNet when I attended that rally and I used it as an opportunity to vent some of my frustration and screamed out very loudly ServiceNet abuses staff and clients repeatedly over and over again she also had great <laughs> chance like put the human back in human services which yeah. i thought was was a yeah. creative one and um i guess some administrators were a little bit upset that we were screaming ServiceNet abuses staff and clients because they considered that statement defamatory and were worried about their reputation in the general community which you know if you're worried about your reputation you might actually want to treat your clients with some respect and listen to those complaints rather than just calling the people who are vocalizing them idiots and ignorant. Um, and you'd for, ex for example. <laughs> and you'd want to pursue those complaints exactly. and check them out and find exactly. out what's going on, not right. just completely deny it. Right, but their response was to completely deny that there are any problems with their services. Um, and they, they used it as an opportunity to lash out against the union. And Susan Stubbs wrote a really very nasty letter to the union representative um, stating that the union was endorsing a message that direct care staff abuse clients. <laughs> and um, really trying to use it as a wedge between the union and the direct care staff. Um, so I wrote um, my own little response to Susan Stubbs saying, no, direct care staff are not responsible for the abuses that take place at ServiceNet. The abuses that take place at ServiceNet are a direct result of the policies of the administration. Um, I, I don't know if, if I should draw up that letter. And I think we just referenced it. 
we could just reference it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it will be made available on the Freedom Center website for people who want to see it. We try to circulate it so that direct care staff were, were able to ha had access to it. Um, I sent out a letter because a memo was sent to all the program directors at ServiceNet saying post this letter that Susan Stubbs wrote to Brooks Ballinger, the union representative, at all, all your program sites so that direct care staff can read it. I sent my own letter to program directors saying there was an incredible amount of misinformation in that letter. This is my response. It was, I was responsible for saying ServiceNet abuses staff and clients, not the union. Um, please either take her letter down or post my letter in addition to it. And in response to that, I got one letter that, you know, was very nasty from a program director calling me. Should I read it? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well. You could read the other part. <laughs> Who are you? You don't know me or my clients, and you know nothing about ServiceNet. You are obviously an idiot because making blanket statements about us abusing our clients and our staff without knowing any of our clients or staff firsthand is inflammatory. We, now, one wonders whether this uh, director yeah. uh, speaks this way to his clients, yeah. calling them idiots. It's yeah. an interesting assumption that he assumes you don't know no. any of his clients. Why which... would I have been there if I hadn't known any of their right. clients? I don't pick fights where there are none. Yeah, actually, That's a lot of sure. ServiceNet clients do come through Freedom Center seeking support from us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just some of the, well, I mean, we'll read the list of some very concrete um, abuses that have taken place. But, you know, it's just just a general disrespect um, and it's true, you know, it's it's not okay to make a blatant blanket statement saying, you know, ServiceNet abuses clients because there are a lot of clients there that are probably happy with their services and that's really great. And they're, you know, there are some workers at ServiceNet that do try hard to treat their clients well, I'm sure. Oh, they, oh of course, of Pro course. Probably I mean, it's the not, majority of them. They're probably even. not supported by the administration in doing right, that and exactly. they're probably not encouraged to do that, but. Could you, could you guys describe some of but, what you did at the at the speak out involving the abuses? Well, I just, I just wanted to, get more into this blanket statement. And in my defense, I was at a rally. <laughs> and it is very hard to get into specifics when you're shouting stuff at a rally. Um, so I just want to make that very clear. There are probably clients who are very happy with the services they receive at ServiceNet, and that is great. And there are probably staff who are very happy working at ServiceNet, and that is great. But there is also an incredible amount of discontent. And a lot of people contact us out of sheer desperation because they don't know where else to turn and nobody listens to them and nobody responds to their complaints. So um, that's what led up yeah, to, to really me attending point. the UAW rally. Um, oh, and he calls me a shill. He said, sounds like you are a <laughs> what shill. Is, what's a shill? I have been trying to figure that out for a very long time. I have no <laughs> idea what a shill is. But um, if anybody knows, <laughs> <call me. laughs> so it was a curse word. We're sorry. <laughs> I don't think the FCC knows what a shill is either, though. Um, yeah. So, you know, I wrote a letter to Susan Stubbs. Hopefully that will be made available on the Freedom Center website so people can check it out. Um, another staff member at ServiceNet wrote up some very concrete um, lists of abuses that have happened at ServiceNet. So I think we're going to turn it over now and talk about that. Yeah, and um, bef before I read some of this, um, I want to say that this is not a, a, a uh, complete list because a there's a lot more information not on this list, and very often um, people at ServiceNet feel too intimidated to talk about the, the abuse, except maybe to their personal friends. Um, yeah, so can I, so can I just give one little more disclaimer? Sure. I feel... Um, 
there's been a huge backlash over stating ServiceNet abuses staff and clients. Mm -hmm. And I really feel a lot of it has to do with that word abuse because it's mm -hmm. such a loaded term. And I mm -hmm. feel like maybe staff hear that and they automatically jump to, is somebody getting beaten up? Is somebody, and I don't think ServiceNet actually restrains anybody. I don't think they partake in that, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, but just to validate what abuse is, if you're being given very high duty medication and you're not being told of any of the side effects, that is abuse. Um, mm -hmm. If you do not have access to a telephone, that is abuse. There was a long um, campaign about that particular subject of having access to the telephone with the Freedom Center and ServiceNet several years ago. And um, it shouldn't have been a long campaign because there's there's legal rights around having access to phones, but it was, in fact, so. And I think to, to continue what you're saying, Abby, about um, over-medication being abuse, I think blatantly breaking laws that protect people's rights um, what the right to refuse, the right to leave, the right, there's, there's a lot of different examples and some of those will come out as we read the list. Um, I think that would, would constitute as abuse or at the very, at the very least, mis pretty severe mistreatment. And so there, there, it's, it's important that it be called out when it happens. And I think if you're, if you're medicated without giving the facts, about the medication and the side effects or given proper information about how to get off the drugs or what your alternatives are. Or not supported or not. when you explain, you, you express your right. desire. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, so we've, we've seen abusive. many ServiceNet clients come through Freedom Center meetings talking about being way over-medicated, and we can see how over-medicated they are. It's very clear. And some of them have even had very serious, serious health problems and injuries due to being over-medicated and not being told initially that they were even being over-medicated, just not knowing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and just to clarify some more, um, you know, none of us is saying that we're against medications. What we're saying is we're for full informed consent. And we're absolutely right. against medical negligence, which if you are exhibiting <laughs> some very serious side right. effects of your medication and it's going unaddressed, that is medical negligence. Yeah. Right, that's right. And even not being informed of all your choices is medical negligence legally even and, at this point and part of the the bed push one of the messages being Cooley Dickinson being one of the targets because we are unanimously against forced medication forced <laughs> injections of medication as well as the use of restraints so that's right I think we're or all also section 12 force commitment too <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we forgot about that one I think well, we're all also against people being on a high number of drugs at once. You know, the pharmacy often, has right. just got to go. Yeah. yeah, like people at ServiceNet are sometimes on, you know, four or five or even more drugs. Mm -hmm. And not just at ServiceNet, across the board, you know, mm -hmm. in the world. And at yeah. ServiceNet, and this also happens across the board, um, a lot of times people are put on medication basically in exchange for housing, that in order to stay at one of the shelters, you have to have a diagnosis or you have to be on medication or you more or less do. And that, that to another me legal violation. is an increasingly large problem that is happening nationally. Um, but, but it's happening here at ServiceNet a lot, that people, in order to have a place to live, just to have shelter, they need to accept a diagnosis and or medication or and I think and then, that's what happens when, you know, a service net bases their um, programs and services off of reimbursements from insurance companies. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And mm -hmm. another thing, just to give some possible advice, if you happen to be somebody who needs services, is that if you if you aren't desperate for housing within the service net system, a lot of people tend to go to ServiceNet because they're the monopoly, but there are a lot of other private therapists that you can see who you can get help from or just all different, you know, but there are private therapists who will take your insurance besides ServiceNet. 
And, you know, if you have government funding for your disability, then you don't need to stay at a ServiceNet house. So I just wanted to, you know, some people don't know that there are other options. But our intent in talking about ServiceNet is that we really have hopes that ServiceNet will um, stop the mistreatment and and um, be a place and respond and be a place that people can access because they ha- they course. have the tremendous potential. But to right help now, people you know, think if they do that with the abuses that are going on, I think people should should know that they have other choices. That there are other therapists out there that That's they right. can get support from. And just to clarify, ServiceNet is private, right? They're not. A government funded. They're a nonprofit, right. so they do receive they do a receive lot of block grants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Do yeah. they receive pharmaceutical funding? Uh, well, they receive insurance reimbursements. And it would actually be really interesting to take a look into their medical unit and the relationship that doctors and psychiatrists in the medical unit have to pharmaceutical companies because the widespread use of polypharmacy is really suspect. Yeah, I, I tried to, to um, check that out by looking on the ServiceNet website uh, just the other day, and there's um, a triangle in the pie that <laughs> says undisclosed um, funds. So, you know, that could be anything. That could be um, anything. And it might be good to see if we can find out what that is. Should we, should we go ahead and read off some of these? So, pieces? yeah. Um, I guess I'll, I'll pick and choose as I go because a lot of these are uh, repeated incidents that are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, I- here is a list of some of the mistreatment that's been documented um, and was sent to Freedom Center. December in 2005, ServiceNet's Crisis Services and Residential Division form an agreement to section a client. I don't know if everyone knows what that means. Abby, s- you want to explain? A Section 12 is a emergency hospitalization. If a Section 12 has been called on you, they will take you in for an evaluation, and if they consider you a danger to yourself or others, which is an incredibly subjective decision. Not even, I don't think even that for a section. But I mean, pretty much if you, if you show up and you exhibit, you know, any signs of disorganization, they will hospitalize, hospitalize you for a period of three Mm -hmm. days. And I was once there advocating for someone in the ER there who was um, basically uh, incarcerated there because she had a former uh, comment in a record saying she was dangerous then, and that was enough. Mm-hmm. So to continue, um, so they formed an agreement to section a client to the hospital if he checked out of one of the service net group homes and moves in with a friend. They tell him about this plan. Services are voluntary, and it is illegal, as Molly just said, to threaten someone with being sectioned to a hospital if they move out to a friend's house unless it can be proven that the person is already a threat to themselves or others. All evaluations for this client state that he was not a threat to himself at the time. Just to give some background information, there was that the Disability Law Center actually was able to become involved in, in that scenario when somebody was being Section 12 for not complying with an element of their treatment plan. And the disability, like it was one of the rare cases where we were actually able to recruit legal representation for somebody whose rights were being abused, which does not happen very often. Um, and a lawyer from the Disability Law Center was went into ServiceNet and told them point blank, this is illegal, what you're doing. And Susan Stubbs, who's the executive director, and Mark Keller, who is in charge of the mental health division, their response was, well, it may be illegal, but it's clinically appropriate. So we just won't write it down, but that's still what we're going to do. 
This is Ooh. how, yeah, this is how people are responded to when they try to Ooh. yeah, fight for the, yeah. Yes, and that's the response that ServiceNet has had to people trying to stick up for themselves. And often in the legal system with mental health, the laws really aren't respected or aren't regarded at all. No, they're completely dismissed, actually. But more laws that were broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in December, ServiceNet residential division heads misuse a release signed by a client to contact his psychiatrist and Mark Keller. Oh, and th okay, <laughs> there we have it, folks. And threaten the psychiatrist into increasing the dose of medications that client is receiving. It is illegal to contact someone's psychiatrist without a release giving specific permission. The release that was available did not give ServiceNet permission to contact the doctor for the reasons that he was contacted. Later, in April of 2006, Keller visited the group home where the client had been living and reviewed his file. The misused release went missing at that point. Also in December, after two evaluations, by ServiceNet's crisis services clinician stating that a client was not a threat to himself or others and did not meet the criteria, criteria for being sectioned or removed from his home, the heads of ServiceNet's residential division decided to override these evaluations and forced the client to leave his home against his will and go to ServiceNet's crisis respite program based on a coercive and illegal treatment plan that stated he could be removed from his home if he didn't take his meds, go to day treatment, and stay out of his room for enough hours each day. ServiceNet heads also encourage respite heads to look for ways to section him to the hospital based on the same illegal criteria. Uh, in January 2006, what? Shaky, okay. All right, I'll go, I'll go for a few more. Um, a disability law center lawyer meets with ServiceNet's department heads and reviews with them the illegal nature of a written treatment plan. ServiceNet heads agree and inform the lawyer that those portions of the plan can be taken out of writing, but they will still be followed by unwritten agreement. These actions are illegal, whether written or not. Ooh. February 2006, Residential Division Director Mark Keller threatens a program director who has come out as having her own history of mental illness telling her that she could be penalized at work for talking too openly about her experience, even if she does so on non-work hours. This, this is just a horrible thing that happened. Um, an internal complaint of harassment and discrimination is filed against Keller by this program director, and an internal investigation occurs. All staff in this program are interviewed and all give consistent and corroborating statements to the abuses from Keller toward this program director and the staff. The program director and Keller meet alone briefly, and Keller tells her the fact that she made the complaint to personnel rather than talking more with him about it <coughs> represented a, quote, communication problem, unquote, for her and related to her job performance. Keller reportedly had a history of complaints against him beginning back when he was working as a clinician in the Berkshires. And Mark Keller is still employed, but the person who filed a complaint against him is not. And this is a staff. So imagine what happens when a client is trying to speak out and complain about the way they're being treated. 
And she was not given um, any written results of the investigation as was, and was only told that ServiceNet lawyers had reviewed the results and determined in favor of Keller and that her removal from the program was not connected to the investigation. She was given no opportunity to say goodbye to clients, which is clinically just a horrible thing, um, and was only allowed to write letters to them that she was leaving several weeks later. There's many yeah. more folks, right. but I, we're running out of time. Right, so that's I'm just a little, a little sampling there. So we just wanted to kind of give an idea of some of the things that people were speaking out against um, this past Sunday and in the weeks that preceded the protest itself and in the weeks that will follow. And again, I, I want to say that um, though we you know, feel we need to speak about the mistreatment that's done at ServiceNet that comes down from management, we are, stead, we are steadfastly in support of the union and the workers there. Mm -hmm. And we urge everybody, um, in fact, to contact uh, the management, and um, they have just recently voted to authorize a strike there. And we want to encourage people to call and contact ServiceNet and encourage them to settle with the union and avoid a strike, which is going to be awful for yeah. everyone. And I'm going to give that information right now. If you want to contact, oops, I hope I have it. If uh, in order to contact um, Sue Stubbs, the executive director and CEO. You can email her at sstubbs, S-T-U-B-B-S, at, and this is all one word, servicenet, S-E-R-V-I-C-E-N-E-T, dot, uh, not dot, sorry, servicenet, Inc. So S-E-R-V-I-C-E-N-E-T-I-N-C dot org. And her phone number, I'm sure she'd love to hear from y'all, <laughs> is 413-585-1300, extension 2501, and tell her you support the union. Yeah, I just want to say that this really is a very dire situation, and it's really unfortunate that our presence at the rally drew so much attention away from the contract negotiations, um, and she was really able to use it as a diversion from giving her employees the contract they deserve. And it's really a shame that it drove a wedge between our movement and the union's movement, and that they felt the best thing would to be to, you know, not... I think that's obviously what they were trying to do. I mean, I, I think from what I know about union organizing, if there's if people want to crush the union, they'll do anything they can to crush the union. So us holding that sign was just their excuse to attack the union. It's not really, in my opinion, based on any sort of reality of, of some problem that the union has. So mm -hmm. I, I think that um, I think it's absolutely true that that we support the union and that it would be great if the union could also support us. And I do think there's a lot of overlaps. I do think if the workers had better rights, then, then clients would just naturally would be a better atmosphere and clients would be treated better. Um, mm -hmm. And if direct care staff knew how important their job was and what an impact they could have on the recovery of the people in their care and in really promoting the and health and well-being the, of the people in their care. The recovery of the, the direct care staff has a history that we know directly of feeling restrained because they get fired if they do certain things. They get fired if they tell clients their own experiences. They get fired for trying to create alternative programs, you know. So a lot of them are trying, but they need their job for various reasons. And I just really want to encourage everybody to get involved and contact Susan Stubbs because ServiceNet administration has already put in place a plan if the union workers strike, which is to fire everybody and engage in a massive rehiring. Um, okay. Right. All right. Um, 
think we should just briefly invite Oryx into the conversation here to while we're talking about alternatives and to talk about the uh, RLC. Hello? Is oh. Oryx still on the line? Well, I actually was, if Oryx is not no. on the line, <laughs> what I was going to do was talk Sorry, about buddy. Um, how ServiceNet... Um, how this was something that we really wanted to bring up at the bed push. It wasn't the sole purpose of the bed push. We did start at Cooley Dickinson, and people did have their personal stories, but it was something we brought up. And despite um, a bunch of media attention, we got an article in the Gazette. We got on the radio WMAC, which maybe we'll have time to play for you. And we also got um, on the television news Nobody mentioned ServiceNet, and this was an important message. Um, and it could have to do with the fact that it was later in the speak out that this happened, um, so folks could have missed it, or it could have to do with that it's just such a heated political issue that the, the press doesn't want to go anywhere near it. Although I do have to say that I noticed that most of the press was gone by then, by the time we did the ServiceNet um, Right, that, piece, could have, so. that could have been a big part of it, absolutely. Maybe yeah. next, maybe we can do another event that focuses more on the ServiceNet abuses. Right. Um, okay. I'm wondering if we should talk about the Gazette's article and their coverage of the event. Let's just let's just spend a minute on the RLC. We have Oryx on the line. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. Am, am I on the air? You are on the air. Oh, All my right. goodness. So, uh, yeah, I don't mean to interrupt the conversation too much. I've been listening. It's been a great show. Um, I just wanted to let people know that... Uh, well, it's great to be back on this show. I've, I've hosted it a number of times. Um, and I wanted to let people know about a new program called the Recovery Learning Community. And it's totally peer-run. Um, and people in mental health recovery, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's all over Western Mass. And we have a center in Holyoke. It's called the Resource Connection Center. We're actually listening to the radio show tonight. Excellent. <laughs> We can get it from Holyoke. It doesn't come in all that well, but we can get it. Um, and um, we're open until 8 o'clock on Wednesdays. We're actually open noon to 8 on Wednesdays. And then we're open from Tuesday through Saturday, um, various hours. You can call for, for the detailed hours. Do you want to, do you want to give the address? Um, the address is 187 High Street in Holyoke. Uh, we're on the third floor. And uh, we have a computer lab here with all kinds of programs on there. Uh, we have a library with great books on recovery and a lot of from a uh, more radical perspective, um, but a variety. And also, um, I'll just jump in and yeah. and um, mention that if anyone's interested in another free yoga class, if you live in the Holyoke area, we'll be starting a free yoga class on Fridays at 1 p.m. on August 17th, and it'll run every week after that starting then and also we are going to be offering advocacy services for people That's out there right. who are in need of advocacy which i'm sure there are a lot of you um it's going to take maybe about a month until we have a group of trained volunteers to do individual advocacy but if you have concerns now you can contact us we'll put you on the list and we'll really start addressing some of these abuses that are happening in our community That's right and abby abby adams is our advocacy coordinator for the recovery learning community so we're very lucky to have I know, you Abby, Abby. <laughs> excellent um, and the number the phone number if you want to call the phone number is um, 413-539-5941 for the recovery learning community excellent 
Is there a website that you want to... We have a uh, website as well. Um, it's www.westernmassrlc.org. There's not much up there now, but there will be soon, and it should be should be an awesome website. So, um, Excellent. We're going to be a network of, of all the peer-run programs going on. Freedom Center is a big part of it, but there's also a lot of other um, peer-run programs going on. Not a lot, I would say, but... <laughs> But um, all of hopefully them. there will be all the more. good ones. <laughs> hopefully there'll be more that start Excellent. as a result of this too. So great. All right, Oryx. Thanks for hanging in there. All right. <laughs> and plugging this for us. We'll make it down there as soon as we can. Yeah, we're all alone right now. So okay. come visit us in Holyoke. All we're right. with you, man. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> all right. Take okay. care. Bye. So um, thanks, Oryx. And we were right right before our important plug break of the recovery learning center we were talking about ServiceNet, and then we were talking about the rally and we were talking about the media coverage and um how we got a range of different media coverage including um television newspaper and radio and Mm -hmm. so we wanted to play the radio clip for you that was on wmac it was gorgeous here we go hi how y'all doing today in the heat So as this is hard, it's also about learning to love ourselves and support each other and create a community where we have the space to explore those parts of ourselves that are shadows. And it's okay to go into the shadows. We just need to have that sacred space to allow us to do that. And from my experience, a psych unit does not provide that space. That's Diana Delaney at the Freedom Center Speak Out in honor of International Mad Pride Month. The Freedom Center is an organization in Northampton, Massachusetts, run by and for people labeled with psychiatric disabilities. They provide alternative forms of support for those labeled with mental illnesses, acupuncture, yoga, and other holistic options, and they organize against injustices within the mental health system. Today's event starts with a small rally in front of Cooley Dickinson Hospital and ends in a speak-out in front of First Churches in downtown Northampton. In between, a group of about 15 people dressed in hospital gowns and even one person wearing a makeshift straitjacket marched towards the center of town, chanting and pushing an old hospital bed filled with flyers. This past month, bed pushes, as they're called, have happened in England and Toronto to raise awareness about coercive psychiatric treatment and to symbolize an escape from mainstream psychiatry. Linda Formosi, a former patient and mental health worker. I'll tell you stories from 1969 on. Met state, I was put in there for stubborn child. Nine years later, pretty much I got out. Since deinstitutionalization, um, that's where they blew it. See, they didn't have it set up here in the community yet. So what they've created is these mini little psych wards on all these medical units, which creates a lot of abuse that's harder to figure out. It's no different than the, uh, the big state institutions. Diane Dragon, a Freedom Center organizer. When you're put into a hospital and forcibly medicated, you, it's a trauma on top of a trauma. And we hear it in the support group. I mean, I've been doing this every week for three years, and people come in and they're over-medicated, and they're just, I mean, you could be drooling. The speak-out lasts for almost two hours as members of the community talk about their experiences within uh, the psychiatric system. We've been going through a really rough time. My doctor told me to get into the hospital. He thought I was suicidal and or homicidal. So I take his advice, go to Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Go to the emergency room. 
they had me arrested for trespassing because they didn't want to deal with me because I'm crazy. I went there because I was afraid of myself. I'm trying to do the right thing. They have me arrested. Shot up with Thorazine and thrown out and arrested. Medication is a Band-Aid. It, it helps, but it doesn't cure. I think there's a lot of holistic therapies and treatments that Northampton is, is basically really famous for. You know, there's acupuncture, rolfing. There have been times, uh, though, where there's been community created in a psych unit that I've experienced where we've pushed out all the tables in the dining room and created that space as peers with each other. And that's what this is about. It's about supporting each other as peers and as loved ones. And what I like to do is just play one little tune on the harp that'll say it all. A Cooley Dickinson representative responded to the protest by saying that they respect the right of community members to share views and exercise their voices. And they recognize that when it comes to the ever-changing field of inpatient psychiatry, there are topics that may polarize people. They state that they offer compassionate care based on mental health research and best practices, and they encourage a variety of treatment modalities. All right. So that was our, um, our favorite piece of media. Right, our favorite report there. It was our favorite, though. The television, though brief, actually did pretty good coverage of the protest, too. It showed us chanting. It had someone speaking about... um, There was someone, Diane from the Freedom Center, who also spoke during this radio piece, was speaking about the way that people often are traumatized coming into the psychiatric system. Same quote. (laughs) It was good. The trauma on top of trauma. Right, it was a great quote. The the television piece? Um, Three minutes, maybe. Two. Typical, yeah, too typical maybe. Television. It, it just um had some shots of us chanting up to the we when we we first met at Cooley Dickinson and um one of our organizers put a call into the patient phone on the fifth floor and spoke with a man who was saying that he really needed our support because he was about to go for his Rogers order trial the next day and so we all got together and waved up to the fifth floor and made some did some chants and so there was some of that footage of us chanting there in front of the hospital um and then a brief clip of Diane's interview and. They, they they called us a drug protest. That was the you know you know how on the evening news they always need that little icon up behind the guy when he's talking. Yeah. So our icon was like all these pill bottles lined up like little soldiers, and it said drug protest. <laughs> so I'm not sure that that necessarily was why everyone was there, but I thought it was it was you know catchy, sort of Michael Moore-ish, made it like this current event. And I think you know I think um, all now that my muscles have somewhat. Uh, somewhat recovered from the dragging and the carrying of the bed. I think by far it was a very successful event. And I think we needed that. We needed um, that momentum and we needed to draw that kind of attention. I don't know if we would have just, if we would have got the type of coverage that we got if we were just running around like crazies in the streets in our johnnies. I think the bed helped. Yeah, Mm, I think you're right. And I just wanted to say that we really appreciated the ABC coverage because that one little soundbite, it might have been short, but for me it kind of summed up the whole day's event and the whole movement, which is to say that people are, are asking for help because they're in trauma and forced and coercive treatment just re-traumatizes them and it doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and so thanks that that message got out, thanks to ABC News. And we also, the, the protest also made it onto the front page of the local section of the Gazette. And unfortunately, there was some, some aspects of the story that took a little bit of an issue with 
Um, Good picture, though. It was yeah, a great, great picture. Yeah, we love it was photo. a great picture. And, you know, it was great that they covered it and they did put a lot of good information in it. But I felt that the language that was used to describe it was a little bit derogatory. So I wrote a letter to the editor in response, and I'm not sure if they're going to publish it. Um, we encourage everyone to write a letter. But yes. we encourage everybody to write a letter. And I'm just going to share my letter with you all because I don't know if it's ever going to make it into print. Um, <laughs> Dear Gazette, this is in response to your article, Making a Push for Better Treatment. I want to thank you for covering the protest held by the Freedom Center. However, I am disappointed by the language used to describe it. Ms. Bekimpis wrote that the protesters were self-described victims and were protesting to draw attention to perceived injustices of the psychiatric system. This language not only misrepresented the very brave and noble individuals who spoke out at the rally, but reflected the author's judgment and bias, which has no place in objective journalism. The protest was a local demonstration held in coordination with an international movement that defines itself as the Mental Health Consumer Psychiatric Abuse Survivor Movement. The participants in this movement have been victimized by the mental health system, but they certainly do not describe themselves as victims. Those who spoke out also did not talk about perceived injustices. Many of the injustices described by those who spoke out were very concrete violations of the legal rights of mental health consumers, psychiatric abuse survivors. It's disappointing the Gazette chooses not to cover these very concrete injustices perpetrated by our local mental health service providers. And what I was referring to was the multiple press releases we released to the Gazette in the hopes that they would start to cover some of the abuses happening at ServiceNet, and they have not done so. Um, the can language. I just say, oh, can I just interrupt? There's one just second? one more paragraph. The language used by Ms. Bekempis is an indication of what happens when individuals with a mental health diagnosis try to speak out against abuse and stand up for their rights. They are belittled and dismissed. I hope the editors of the Gazette will take more care in reviewing the language of the article, of their articles, so the bias, biases of their journalists are not reflected in their news stories. I also hope the protest held by the Freedom Center will begin to wake up our community to the need to transform our mental health system into a system that helps people rather than hurts them. I think that was a very well-worded article, um, and I think I think you know when writing articles to the newspaper about about events that they cover, it's, I like the way you started it by thanking them for covering it, because even if they're not doing as much as we would like, having them cover the article is at least doing something to raise the awareness. And they did quote us in a lot of cases, but I just wanted to point out that um, you know some of some people do feel as though they're victims of the psychiatric system. I mean, I personally feel that way. Well, I think there's a difference between <laughs> being victimized and having that as a temporal thing and having somebody describe you as a self-described victim because that suggests permanence and it mm -hmm. suggests that you are, you know, I mean, people don't say mm -hmm. so, when somebody is a rape victim, nobody describes them as a self-described rape victim. You hopefully, know? I'm sure I mean, some people do, unfortunately, but I, I just hear It's kind point. of, yeah, yeah, it can be a way of just saying these people describe themselves that way and I'm not taking any side one way or the other, which, you know, for us sometimes when somebody doesn't take a side, it can feel as though they're not taking a side because they're, because they're either misinformed or scared to. Well, I don't know. I think it was derogatory. I think it was incredibly derogatory to say self-described victim. Yeah, and also I, I guess I would say that gone are the days, for the most part, that um, an African-American who talked about something racist happening um, would be described, and then spoke about it, would be described as, you know, self-described victim or or, um, or any other derogatory way of saying right. that. I mean, I mean, injustice is injustice. Yeah, a lot of it is so. that our movement just isn't out there as much as as that as the um, 
equal racial equality movement. Well, it's getting out there, and but I think that uh, I, I just want to put it. I want to put in here for a minute how much um, I appreciate um, Keely for womaning the board here, <laughs> and um, for this wonderful show, Madness Radio, which really gives voice to the silenced, and also a tremendous thanks to Valley Free Radio. I don't listen to anything else anymore because this station really does um, speak for a lot of people, and I'm one of them. And so I really want to thank the station and encourage everyone to support it. Very timely, as we have a fun drive coming up starting this Friday. <laughs> and I wasn't asked to say that either. <laughs> All right. So um, I think that we're going to wrap up here, and Haya has a piece of poetry that she wanted to share with us all. So I'll let her have the last few words, and thank you all for listening to and just radio. want to encourage folks to stay tuned to our websites for future events and more media and everything going on is always www.freedom-center.org and here's Haya. Yeah, we could, I could also just want to announce that we have free yoga classes, free acupuncture support groups. Um, our yoga classes, we have two per week that are free. One is on Mondays at 7 at the, at the Somatic Systems Institute on Masonic Street in Northampton. The second is at Forbes Library at 3.30 on Thursdays. We have an acupuncture and, and chair massage clinic on Mondays at 4.30 in the Quaker space on Center Street, 43 Center Street. And our support group is on Thursdays at 6 at the Quaker space. Um, I mean, sorry, at 7 on Thursdays. And um, so this is a poem that I wrote recently about my feelings about um, the psychiatric system. They're parking their cars in so many people's lots behind the front car, but visible to me as I stroll around the towns, the ones in prisons and the rich young Jewish girls alike. They're parking their cars behind everyone's own car, so driveways can just barely fit both in. Their cars are parked in the backs of the garages. I stroll by, but how can I get in? How did this foreign car get here? Some car owners wonder when they park their own but their own does not fit. They're parking their car in so many lots. Do you see it? Do you see the lack of room? Do you see people's faces behind the wheel? Who is looking at the faces behind the wheels? We are scrambling to get home through rush hour, scrambling to one day get home to free driveways, to the trespassers, take your cars to another lot, burn them, anything, just get them out of my friend's garages. We need room to play. And you've been listening to a show that was recorded right after the July 29th bed push escape from psychiatry protest that the Freedom Center did. You can find out more information by going to the Freedom Center website, freedom-center.org. And thanks a lot for tuning in to Madness Radio. been listening to madness radio voices and visions from outside mental health madness radio is broadcast every wednesday 6 to 7 p.m eastern standard time on pacifica affiliate wxojlpfm 103.3 valley free radio in northampton massachusetts for our live internet stream podcasting show archives and more visit madnessradio.net madness radio is co-produced by freedom center and the icarus project for more information, check out freedom-center.org and theicarusproject.net. 
For more mental health radio, listen to the news hour from mindfreedom.org, Wednesdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have an idea for a story or guest on Madness Radio, or you just want to share what's in your head, contact us at radio at madnessradio.net. Thank you.